No, you tell it. No, you. I'm not telling it. You should totally tell it. <laughs> well, you should tell it. No, you tell it. No, You Tell It is a series that switches up the storytelling. So each performer writes a true life tale and then, switching with a partner, performs the other person's story, giving everyone involved the chance to share their own stories and experience someone else's. Celebrating 10 years of No, You Tell It, the second half of our Punch Up show starts with the story of a waitress getting a visit from a former co-worker who looks happier and healthier than seems possible. Trying to match her glow up, she seeks out the same shaman, but finds the visit less than inspiring. Enjoy Shaman Says, written by Jen Waring and performed by Ida Zalelian. Switching it up, our final story also starts in a bar, where an old frenemy creeps back into every corner of the narrator's life, causing her to reflect on why some friends are better left in the past. One Final Lesson was written by Ida Zalelian and performed by Jen Waring. This story swap was directed by our wonderful guest host for the evening, Ellie Dvorkin Dunn. Invite up our next pairing. Please uh, join us, Ida Zalelian and Jen Waring. Nice. Yeah, you remember. Earlier, uh, during the rehearsal <coughs> portion of the evening, Jen and I had a very fascinating discussion about camel toe, but we will not be continuing that discussion now. It did start with boobs. Boobs to and camel toe. Boob, so. It's a natural progression. Normal. That's for another show. Maybe we'll, we'll curate <laughs> that. Take, take that on the road. Yeah, I think that's a great <laughs> or not idea. We'll workshop it. Um, Jen Waring. Yes. When was the last time you did something for a stranger just to be nice, and what did you do? Uh, well, earlier, uh, a, a random person who came in spilled some of his beverage, and I you did. found paper towels and cleaned it up so no one else would fall down. You're welcome. She did do that. That's a great answer. Thank you. So, I don't know. 26 minutes ago? Well, that was the last time, and it was very recent. <laughs> and now, uh, thank you Welcome. for doing that, because I didn't want to. No, fair. I don't even, it didn't even occur to me. That's how <laughs> shitty I am. You have taller shoes on. I don't know. I was, my head was elsewhere. Would you rather, Jen? <laughs> I like this one. <laughs> it's so weird. They're weird. Would you rather take a bath in a tub full of macaroni and cheese, or... A shower under a stream of barbecue sauce. Oh, mac and cheese, hands down. Get in the tub. Let's all get in the tub. Mac and cheese. I was having you raise hands earlier. Can I get, if, it's, if, you're, if your answer is mac and cheese, can I get a woohoo? Woo if it's barbecue sauce, can I get a wee-hee? You see, I knew nobody would say that. That's why I gave you a weird yeah. sound You'll to make. never get the barbecue smell off of you. You will smell right. like barbecue sauce for the rest of your days. And I think... We he is wrong. Yeah, we he is wrong. <laughs> Camel toe also. Yeah. Well, it's, it's fine. It's, it's your call. It's your, we're not judging. We don't judge. <laughs> um, I directed this next set of stories, but I don't even know what that means because they didn't really need any direction. They're fabulous. So we are now presenting... Shaman Says by Jen Waring and performed by Ida Zalelian. <clears throat> Shaman Says. Something needed to change. Anything. 
everything. Saturday night was just another shitty cocktail in a plastic cup served with, a frozen, chick with frozen chicken wings warmed on a foreman grill. A surefire way to get no tip and salmonella. If people could see this place in the daylight, the mystery stains on the banquette cushions, the peeling wall paneling, the state of the 287-year-old carpet, they wouldn't even stay, let alone eat. And everyone just looked the same to me, like God had run out of extras in the shitty movie that was my life. <laughs> even the water bug in the gumball machine was surely the one I'd killed in the showroom the night before. Compliments, complaints, conversations, all carried out with an internal monologue of, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. Sadly, quitting didn't pay the rent no matter how much you need to change. But I didn't know what else I could do anymore. When you sit at the crossroads for so long, staring in every direction, wondering endlessly which was right, none were right, and movement impossible. Sleepless nights full of doom scrolling, falling down rabbit holes of potential new and exciting paths. Raise emus and corn? Run a hatchery for axolotls? Bakery with a karaoke bar in the back? All on whatever money I had left after I paid said rent and the creative fortitude I had long since run out of. The burn was real, and I was very tired of that reality. I just needed a sign, and now, a sign now. Before I got yelled at one more time for more blue cheese, please, or an actual glass glass. Seriously, fuck off. <laughs> if a waitress falls in the forest, is anybody here? Or do they just step over her on their way to the always flooded bathroom? And that's when she walked in former waitress, Melissa. If I was grizzled, she was hardtack jerky. <laughs> By the time she quit, I was 76% sure she'd be back in postal, if you feel me. She was mean as a snake, biting and cruel, her face etched in a grimace, even her hair was angry. The coworker you tolerate by avoiding. She had moved, she had left to move upstate and take a break. Honestly, I assumed she'd been committed. And while it was definitely Melissa, something was off. And I tried to figure it out while squeezing lemon juice packets over sugar packets before hooding them with vodka and pretending I gave a crap about someone <laughs> dumb enough to look around this place and order lemon drop martinis. And then it hit me, she was smiling. I'd literally never seen her face do that and the scarf she was wearing was sparkly and colorful. She actually looked lighter, like a horror film turned into a fairy tale. Suddenly, that crossroads I'd been sitting on got a hundred times more uncomfortable. She was my touchstone, my worst off, and she looked happy. My brain may have actually broke. What had happened upstate? I tried to scroll through all the words she said before she left last month, but honestly, I was barely listening. One round of drinks delivered later, I was reminded, Melissa worked for a shaman. <laughs> a shaman. I didn't even know there were shamans upstate, and frankly, at all, <laughs> in real life. And apparently, 
her shaman was in the city taking limited appointments. A shaman did this? Rude question? Maybe. I didn't care. This shaman clearly was fucking magical. She put Melissa's spirit on a diet and she lost 200 pounds of anger. The whole 30 of energy renewals. I did the whole 30. I wasn't renewed. <clears throat> I'd seen psychics and therapists and been forced to take a chakra workshop once and I wasn't renewed. I had to see this shaman. One of those limited points was mine. It was my time to be renewed. I have never felt so sure I'd found my sign. If this shaman could shamanize Melissa into a new and dare I say it happy and shiny human, surely she could help me figure out how to move past this hopeless crossroads and save my own life. No fee was too big, no time too in inconvenient, and since I would alarm people if I showed that much enthusiasm for anything, I made my work wife score us the times. <laughs> She'd weave a web of pure endearing excitement and those appointments didn't stand a chance. Now, having never been to a shaman, I was unsure what to expect. Wifey saw the shaman first and texted such gushing, glowing nonsense, I barely knew how to contain myself. The shaman had, shaman had called her out on her neediness, her codependent nature, had encouraged her to meditate and grow from a place of strength. <laughs> that kind of honesty is a gift. They had sat opposite each other, making deep eye contact, incense burning, crystals infused and gifted. I was so excited for my crystal infusion. <laughs> By the time I arrived at my appointment, I was so looking forward to punching up the story of my life that I could barely stand it. The shaman had been granted space in a nondescript midtown spa. Melissa was glowing away as she checked me in, and I was so glad I had put on my sparkly earrings. I could glow for a change. I was ready. You're going to love Rana, she enthused. She is going to change you. The room I was led to was white and tranquil with a hint of tinkly spa music I normally hate and a massage table smack in the center of it. I wasn't sure where we would sit to solve all my life's problems, so I perched awkwardly on the table's edge. I didn't know what to expect, but she wasn't it. She was tiny, very thin, breakable, with a huge amount of long dark hair, like a stick figure drawing come to life, right or wrong, I was expecting more of a medicine woman, a hardy woman with size and strength and wisdom pouring from her every glance, not a small furtive woman I felt should eat more. <laughs> Rana moved through the room like a parakeet, too freaked out to land on a perch, <laughs> and barked at me to strip and lay on my back and flapped her hand toward the robe hanging on the back of the door. Sure, I was confused but maybe my spirit was speaking to her differently. She knew I didn't need to talk. I needed to tap into my potential, my future, and that was done in robes, of course. Once be-robed, I lay on my back and waited, and waited, and waited. Was anything gonna happen? Was she eating something? <laughs> Sitting in my own silence is not something I do well as my darkest thoughts take advantage quickly and I get lost in negative town. Population one, zero sparkle. 
And seriously, this music could fuck off. Do people really find this relaxing? Rana came in with such force and purpose that my heart stopped. She stopped the music, heaven, dimmed the lights, circled me twice, paused to run her fingers through my hair, gathering it, extending it, tugging it. I was breathless, excited. I was a little turned on because frankly, it had been a while. <laughs> I heard her ragged inhale and found myself doing the same. She stepped to my right, her long hair brushing my shoulder and aggressively with excessive force and venom, dragged her knuckles down either side of my left arm shouting, hoo-wee, and ran out of the room. <laughs> I lay there, stunned, rubbing my arm to soothe the pain from the world's sharpest knuckles, wondering if she was part Wolverine. This wasn't what my work wife went through. She totally would have mentioned this. Hell, even Melissa should have mentioned this. Also, where had Rana gone? <laughs> I once swam with dolphins while I was a nanny. We had to swim to the middle of this man-made lake and tread water with our arms in front of us in an open circle. It felt like you were treading forever when out of nowhere you felt a huge rush of pressure starting below your feet and suddenly a dolphin appeared in your arm circle while you squealed with delight but also almost drowned. <laughs> that was how the shaman came back in the room. She forced herself into my space, made no eye contact, offered no explanation and then aggressively knuckled my left leg from the top of my thigh to my ankle, threw up her hands with another and ran out. I did not squeal with delight. I couldn't imagine this is what had elated Melissa, made her look like she had found her purpose, her calling. My work wife got an attitude check, not a physical injury. I was sure I had full-length knuckle bruising, and I was definitely, definitely not fucking lighter. As she entered the room for the third time, I was ready for some explanation. Rana, I said. Is this your norm? She shushed me. She massaged my remaining limbs, firmly but without excessive pain. She looked thoughtful, focused. She put her hair in my hands, exhaled with a normal volume, hooey. I felt the stirrings of a peace. Finally, we were getting somewhere. You have a weight you need lifted, she said. A weight holding you back, she murmured as she came back to my side. Tears gathered in the corners of my eyes, hundreds of pounds of failed auditions, shards from my broken heart gathered in my body as a million voices mocked, oh, you're still just a waitress, in my head. I felt the lightness I saw in Melissa. I felt the page turning on the script of my life. I saw the sign God hung for new extras. And then she put her hands on my belly and grabbed hard. There is no one anywhere of any size who wants their belly grabbed. <laughs> this was the height of aggression. This weight is because of your mother. You keep her needs away by staying fat. Um, no. <laughs> 
Knuckles run down my right arm. I flinched in pain and pulled my arm away before she got past my elbow. You're angry at your father. It's why it hurts. Wrong. <laughs> she moved to my feet and knuckled from heel to toe on both sides and shouted, Hoo-wee! And left again. Bitch. But I'd had enough. This time, my inner monologue was a very outer fuck off. I got up and grabbed my phone. 45 minutes had passed. Took it as a sign to get dressed. Took the fact that Rana hadn't come back as a sign I was correct. My emotions were running the gamut from anger to fury. I felt like I'd been robbed, cheated of the better story arc my character was supposed to get. I've never felt more right about anything than I felt about leaving. I barely smiled at Melissa. I stared at the other folks waiting, and of course, I still tipped, but I was not happy about it. <laughs> Shaman, my ass. Melissa got a lobotomy and a desk job upstate. Outside, once again, I took the hugest breath and shouted, hoo-wee, and burst out laughing. What a crock. I knew what I needed to do, quit this shitty job, make a choice and just take one step, hit a stage and call my mom. She'd be thrilled to find out it was her fault. <laughs> and I was heavy and was mad at my dad. Maybe the shaman wasn't the answer I wanted, but she was an answer. I'd never been more motivated to try something else. And honestly, isn't that all I was looking for anyway? Beautifully done. Hoo-wee! <laughs> While Jen gets all settled, it's time for your question, Ida. Are you ready? Ready. All right. Ida Zalelian, <laughs> what is your biggest fear, and how would your life be different if suddenly you weren't afraid of this anymore? It's like you can't say shamans. <laughs> Or you can, if that's true. You caught me so I've off guard, I have to actually answer this honestly. Because oh, I can't great. scramble for a nonsense answer. I guess my biggest uh, fear in life would be failure. And, um, and what would happen if I... How would your life be different if you weren't afraid of this anymore? Um, I wouldn't succeed at anything. <laughs> <laughs> so being afraid to fail is what makes you push through and succeed. Correct. That's fucking inspiring. <laughs> Thank you, Ida. I like it. But now a would you rather, which is really what we all want to hear about. <laughs> all right, this is the last one. Don't be sad. You're sad. You're my friend, and I own this book, so it could be never-ending. Never-ending would you rather. All day. Just eat your way out of it. I would eat my way out of it. It's so much gluten. Um, that's a weird thing to say. Would you rather... <laughs> I'm, um, I had a discussion with Jen earlier about feeling feral, like when it's your first time, like since COVID, this is really my first time, like in front of people under lights. So um, I'm sorry. 
if I've made you uncomfortable at any moment this evening. Ida, would you rather live in the apartment below professional yodelers or live in the apartment below the drummer for a heavy metal band? A heavy metal band, 100%. No, you, no hesitation. No one, 100%. Let's go back to hand raising because it's calmer. Uh, uh, yodelers? Heavy metal band. We're about 50-50 on that one. All right, whoever meets us at the bar later, we can discuss this <laughs> deeply. Um, and now you will be hearing one final lesson by Ida Zalelian and performed by Jen Waring. One final lesson. I leaned against the wooden bar, the gritty surface tacky against my elbows. I was waiting for an old college friend with whom I'd had a complicated falling out. I'll name her Shannon. It had been eight years since I had seen her. On a lark, I had called her house and her mother had answered the phone. She told me where Shannon was living and that she worked at a bar around the corner from her apartment. The bar was more of an extension of an old cheap motel, notorious for illicit rendezvous, where people met before stealing away for a quick thrill. It wasn't at all where I thought Shannon would be working after graduating from college. Shannon, who could quote pages from our favorite Salinger book, Franny and Zoe, who could explain existentialism while throwing together the perfect ensemble for a late night of drinking and eating disco fries at our favorite diner. It was who she had been when it was just the two of us. I wondered how little or how much Shannon had changed, and I thought of the person I was nearly 10 years ago. Living with my family in Jackson Heights, my mother's tight grip of my whereabouts marginally slackened when I began my first semester at Queens College. I was only 17 and a full year younger than most freshmen. Me being the eldest of three girls, my mother was a dominating force, wielding her control with unrealistic curfews, eavesdropping on phone conversations, reading my diary, trampling over boundaries, the borders non-existent. I looked around the bar wondering why it was empty until I reminded myself that it was a Tuesday afternoon, though unsure if the time of day was a deterrent for a sexy tryst. The ice is melty. I heard a familiar voice call from the doorway that led to the bar. My palms were slightly damp as I eased myself onto the maroon leather bar stool. Hey, I heard and saw Shannon gliding past the bar toward me. She wore her hair the same as she had in college, long and blonde. Her eyebrows were pencil thin, which distracted me. I couldn't remember how she had kept them in college. Hey, she said again, our eyes widening with genuine surprise as if we hadn't spoke on the phone and she hadn't told me to stop by at noon. What is up, <laughs> she said. <laughs> I had forgotten about her Long Island accent, <laughs> yet how? <laughs> She was wearing so much patchouli that I would smell it on my clothes on the drive back to my apartment. Now, standing behind the bar, she asked me if I wanted anything to drink. Uh, water, I said, realizing that the corners of my mouth were parched. What has been up, she said again. I told her I had moved out of my mother's apartment after getting my master's. Holy shit, she said. Stella must have loved that. She said, referring to my mother. Shannon was... One of many friends my mother had disapproved of and had made it known to her. In contrast, her mother had been fond of me, hugging me and complimenting my piano playing when I visited Shannon. Stepping through the door, her home felt 
warm and lived in with piles of books on various surfaces and a kitchen with half-peeled oranges. Where are you working? she asked. I told her I had left publishing and had been teaching English for the past year. So you're teaching high school? she asked. Both of us smiled at the irony. How are you liking it? Back then, I was able to slip through the cracks of the DOE with all my psychology major credits. I'd only taken two education classes and passed two exams for my certification. I'd had no actual teaching experience prior. <laughs> I told her I was sure the principal had hired me because I had my master's in creative writing, which I had pursued on a lark. I really should go back and finish my writing master's, she said. I have like 10 credits left or something. I've been here for like two years, but I have to get my shit together. My mother's been on my ass. I encouraged her, pointing out that she probably could pull it off in one semester with her flexible hours. We made plans for dinner the following week. As I drove home, I felt a sense of hope for a new friendship, the friendship we were meant to have without the complications that had weighed us down as adolescents. My mother's over-involvement, for one, and an awful boy. <laughs> That's what it had boiled down to upon looking back. We had fallen for a boy who ultimately chose me over Shannon, yet she'd had the freedom of no rules and I'd been bound to my house. After they disconnected from me, they continued their relationship, which ultimately became destructive, I heard from acquaintances. I didn't allow my mind to drift to the painful memories of Shannon's ploys to win him over or what she did when she, it all fell apart. He had brought out the worst in her. She was level-headed now, clear-eyed. When I walked into the teacher center in September, a room filled with familiar faces welcomed me back. We exchanged stories of what we had done over the summer. Someone mentioned that there was a new hire in our department. Before I could ask, I saw Shannon at the far end of the hallway. <laughs> it was jarring to see her as she slowly made her way down the hall reading room numbers. I thought I'd surprise you, she said when she saw me. We had seen each other several times over the summer. Never had she mentioned to me that she was applying for certification. It would dawn on me later that the reason for all her detailed questions about my school and the principal and how I had secured a teaching position. As the weeks passed, I would arrive to, find, to school to find Shannon sitting with the same colleagues I had become friendly with the year prior. Upon seeing me, Shannon would nod in my direction. What's up? She would ask rhetorical question that I learned to ignore, puzzled by how comfortable she had gotten so quickly. My friends commented on how clever and cool Shannon was, asking me about our friendship in college, to which I replied with vague answers. They mentioned hangouts outside of work that I wasn't invited to, wondering why I didn't know about plans. One afternoon, as I walked out of the gym, I saw Shannon climb on a treadmill. Unbeknownst to me, she had joined my gym. And that's when I realized what I had gotten myself into. I left feeling an unshakable dread. I saw her the next, at work the next day. What's been going on? I asked her. We were alone in the hallway, a rare occurrence. Not much, you. I mentioned a few people she had been hanging out with and asked why I hadn't been invited. I like to keep things separate, she said. You know. Why, I asked. <sighs> she sighed impatiently. We're not in high school anymore, <laughs> she said, catching her joke. You know what I mean? Does everyone need to be invited to everything? Like, how old are we? <laughs> 
was the exact same conversation I'd had with her all those years ago when I found out that she had been hanging out with the boy I liked and hadn't told me about it. I walked away knowing she would let me. As the months passed, Shannon seemed to be ever-present in my life, at work, among my circle of friends, and the gym of all places. <laughs> I berated myself for my naivete. I drove to work every day, conjuring scenarios of bumping into Shannon in the hallways and all the things I would say to puncture her aloofness. Sometimes I would hear her nasal Long Island accent even before walking through the teacher center and would find her sitting with the very group of colleagues I had considered my friends. No one would believe that this very same person had trailed behind me in my ambitions of a teaching career and friendships I had been forming, even going so far as to enroll in my gym. <laughs> Painful still, in comparison to her, I felt dull and forgettable. I was furious with myself for contacting her after so many years. One afternoon, I sat on my couch and stared at my empty living room wall. I pretended I was looking at a painting, and it was my friendship with Shannon. It reminded me of the first time I had seen a Monet mural close up and how the image was so richly different upon stepping back and taking it all in. It was grotesque, our friendship, a failed disaster. It would always be. It festered with teen movie drama of betrayal, lost innocence, and desertion. After all that time, I finally let myself remember. Alex was his name. He was reckless, dangerous. I had confused him with the lovable rebel teens of John Hughes movies. All three of us were friends, and both Shannon and I had become infatuated with him. One afternoon, he pulled me aside, confessing how much he liked me wanted to date me without Shannon's reaction confounding a relationship between he and I, knowing I couldn't contend with my mother's intense dislike towards him. I had to say no. The trouble wouldn't be worth it. When I walked to the car the following morning, I discovered that one of the windows had been smashed in. I knew right away it was him. It would not be the last time. And Shannon had been his accomplice. After that incident, Shannon withdrew into a stranger, ignoring me on campus. All these moments unfurled, one overlapping into the next like a horror show. She and Alec walking past me on campus and him spitting in my face, unprovoked. My phone ringing persistently at odd hours of the night and being hung up on over and over. Finding all the tires of my car deflated. One afternoon when classes had been canceled because of a coming winter storm. I ran into Shannon a year later during one of their falling outs, and she offered a sheepish apology and walked away. <laughs> Years later, I would Google his name and find that he had been arrested for a string of burglaries and was serving time at Rikers. During the time Shannon infiltrated my life, I had been writing short stories. I came across an anthology accepting young adult submissions. It compelled me to write my first YA short story. I wrote from the perspective of an angry teen and her fractured friendship with her best friend, a vapid sly girl who nearly gets away with a cleverly devised betrayal. At the end of the story, both characters are at a party where the narrator reveals her enemy's true nature and proceeds to beat her to the ground. <laughs> I did little to conceal the enemy's name, uh, changing Shannon's name to Sherry. <laughs> 
I felt in control for once, using my words as I intended, wrestling my chaotic thoughts into coherent, powerful moments. To my complete shock, I received a notification of acceptance. When the story was published, I sent out an email blast with the link to the story. In my usual self-deprecating fashion, it had not occurred to me that anyone would actually read it. But they did. <laughs> I was approached by colleagues at school congratulating me, and yet I was still unaware of the transparency of my story until one afternoon. <laughs> The English department was sitting through a professional develop meeting, development meeting, and as luck would have it, I ended up sitting next to Shannon. I felt her eyeing me, <laughs> the frost of her gaze palpable. She turned to me in the middle of the meeting and half smiled at me, her lips quivering. quivering. I knew her well enough to know that it was not a smile, <laughs> but a glint of rage. Shannon, I said, after the meeting had ended, I sensed she was lingering for the space to clear as I had. Uh, you wrote a fucking story about me? She nearly shouted. I didn't mean for anyone to read it. Bullshit! She yelled. I looked at her, her red sputtering face, and remembered one of the lines from the story. She has long blonde hair, and sometimes I have fantasies about wrapping that thick mane of her hair around her neck and strangling her until her face turns blue. <laughs> I wanted to laugh. I told my mother, and she couldn't believe you would do that. Then she read it, my sister read it, and so did my brother-in-law. As if that was proof of my guilt. You beat the shit out of me, she yelled again. As if I had actually, she had actually suffered her character's ass-beating. I froze in disbelief. I couldn't believe she was upset. I really didn't think anyone would read it, I said. And I wasn't lying. But after all she knew she had done to me, I guessed well, she wouldn't believe me. Then why did you send the email in the first place, she asked. As a notification, I said. I mean, who takes the time to read the English department, <laughs> she said. They're on my mailing list because I used to be friends with some of them. She paused. You've said and done whatever you like, Shannon, I said. I guess it was my turn. After she left the room, I wished I had remembered to ask her if she liked the title. I thought it was pretty good. It's called The Festering. That's it. Thanks for joining us for this installment of No, You Tell It. Visit us on the web at knowyoutellit.com. <laughs>